So that last scripture, um, one thing I, I want to repeat, because it's worth repeating, I might repeat it again, uh, is Romans 12, verse 12, uh, which is rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We are going to um, start this sermon off uh, a little bit differently. So in the beginning, the earth was dark, it was formless and void. So the Bible says, the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness, and darkness was over the surface of, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Uh, you can go to the slide. So the words here used are tohu, bohu, and hoshek. I think you have to roll the H, um, which I can't really do. But uh, tohu is desert nothingness. Um, it's also sometimes used to describe like the wilderness that the uh, Israelites walked through. Um, and here it's translated as without form. Bohu, emptiness and void. And hoshek is darkness. Um, so we're, we're talking about joy today. And, and this, is, this is where we're starting. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and go to, the, go to the next slide. So what is joy? When I started preparing this sermon, it was kind of a problem to be solved because I don't think that I can talk to you guys about joy unless I have some sort of fundamental definition or we have some shared... Uh, understanding of, of what is joy. And so, for me personally, the word joy isn't really part of my normal language. I don't like use it in how I normally speak. And so, therefore, it's not really how I process thoughts uh, and, and perceive the world. It's not really part of my language. And so, um, growing up, one of the ways that joy was described to me was by comparing it to happiness. So, on one hand, you have happy. This is something that is experiential. It's ephemeral. It's unsubstantial. It's, it's um, kind of hollow, right? And then joy, on the other hand, was sort of described to me as like this spiritual superpower version of happiness. This is something that is substantial. It's steadfast. It, is, uh, it, it persists despite circumstances, despite unhappy circumstances. There can still be joy. That sort of idea. And so I believe that part of what sort of um, built that, that, that concept, that definition for me, um, were stories in the Bible like what we have with um, Paul being in prison. And the Bible talks about joy in a lot of different ways, but here we have Paul in prison, and he is in an unhappy situation, and yet he has joy. And so what I, what I want to convey is that, that that specific scenario is a concept built on top of the definition of joy. So we have concepts, theological concepts about joy, and then we just have the word joy. And so what I want to do before we get started is to take this word joy and pull it off the dusty bookshelf of theological concepts and kind of pull it into working language so that we can um, have more of a conversation about it. And so the way I want to do that is to use a word that we are all familiar with and a word that we all use. And that word is enjoy. So we all know what it means to enjoy something. We know what it means to enjoy a good meal. We know what it means to enjoy company. And we can even understand concepts like enjoying something despite um, being, being in an unhappy situation, if you would. So for example, imagine if you were in a hospital bed, right? You're in discomfort, and you have a visitor, someone you care about. The fact that they're there brings you joy. You enjoy the fact that they're there 
despite your circumstances. And so we have concepts related to joy, but then we have just the, 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 the simple sort of a, a pure version of what this word is, and, and I'm going to use the term enjoy as we kind of talk about this a bit. So an interesting question. You can go to the next. Well, actually, no, stay there. Um, I don't have a slide for this. I removed it. So the question is this. Is enjoyment adjacent to sin or godliness? Is enjoyment adjacent to sin or godliness? So how do we think about this? So we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Um, And so kind of the way I've been thinking about this, this question is to think of it in these terms. The life of meaningless enjoyment is not for you. The life of meaningless enjoyment is not for you. However, the life of enjoyment with purpose is for us. And so how I would think about this is in terms of meaninglessness, meaningless enjoyment is adjacent to sin. I'm not going to call it sin because it's, there's blurry lines here. But meaningless enjoyment is adjacent to sin, and enjoyment with purpose is adjacent to godliness. So we enjoy God's creation. We enjoy beauty, music, love, food, all these things. And this enjoyment has purpose. Through this enjoyment, we glorify God and do things like have children, eat food that gives us energy, and we enjoy his creation. Our enjoyment, the good things, our enjoyment in the good things he created can in itself be an act of praise. So last week, Tom used love to help us understand joy. The, um, and so with, with love, we have things like uh, love is, of course, something that can be felt, but love is also things like an action. And love has depth. So like love, joy also has depth. And so I want to illustrate that for you. You can go to the next slide. So there is enjoyment in a good meal. Um, we would, if, if you're sitting down by yourself and you're enjoying a meal, there's enjoyment in that meal. Now imagine you are enjoying that meal with your spouse. I would suggest that there's, a, there's more, there's a deeper enjoyment, there's greater joy in enjoying a good meal with your spouse. And now add your children to the table, that's even better, unless of course it's a date night. But now let's take this maybe a bit further and say, this life is done, we're in heaven, we're enjoying a meal with people that have been with us throughout our life, and the whole room is filled with the light of God's glory. I would suggest that there is a greater, deeper, more substantial joy in that moment than the time you enjoyed a meal by yourself. But those are both joy, but there's depth to joy. Okay, so um, remember those, uh, those Hebrew words we talked about earlier? We're going to kind of take maybe a, a, a dark turn, if, if you would, in this sermon, and, um, and we're really going to, to, to shift, shift gears here. So go ahead and go to the next slide. I believe that many people today are struggling with a sense of purposeness. They feel a sense of purposeness that is stealing from them a passion for life. Tom shared this statistic last week about uh, the, the COVID um, comorbidity statistic that essentially suggested that um, while the number one reason why people were having severe symptoms from COVID was uh, obesity, the number two was anxiety and fear slash depressive disorders, that sort of category. And that's kind of surprising 
Um, but it's an indicator of our, our current, like, like the, just the current state of things, right? And so I'm going to do something a little um, unorthodox, and we're going to look at this from another angle as well. And this is, um, in order to get sort of a pulse on our culture, I want to look at the humor of our culture. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at something called meme culture. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide. What is a meme? So if you don't know what a meme is, consider a, a funny, like the funny paper and like the Sunday paper, like the funny comic strips. It's, it's just like that, except usually they're reduced down to just one frame. And, um, and there's, there's a whole lot more of them than there were comics in the funny paper, like thousands every day. It's almost like a language. Um, and so memes and meme culture is somewhat representative of this generation's humor how it's processing cultural events and its general outlook. Humor is often used to buffer stress. Humor is often used to explore areas that normal speech is not allowed to go. And so, um, one thing that you'll see if, if you have the, the fortune or misfortune of, of diving into meme culture is that there's a, a, a very common thread of, like a, a common theme in the humor of just lacking the will to live, or jokes on severe depression and purposelessness, and jokes on even, even jokes on suicide seem to be a very accepted form of humor in this medium. And so um, I'm just going to give a few examples. They're not going to be too crazy, but go ahead and, and go to the next slide. Me in crippling debt, failing college, has anxiety and depression, and very unhealthy. My fortune cookie from Panda Express. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. Next slide. Time for my depression nap in the middle of the day again. I'm a dog napping. Uh, last one. Looking for the will to live these days like, wow, such empty. Um, so you can go to the next slide. Thank you for not laughing. Um, so they, really, they really are not funny. Um, but yeah, so and that wasn't really my intention. So anyways, the, I did that to illustrate and an attempt to get a pulse on our culture, which is not an easy thing to do. I believe that for the people that make up this generation, the future seems bleak for many of the people. There's a lack of optimism for successful relationships, a lack of optimism for successful integration in the workforce. Uh, there's common beliefs that physical death is the end, and even after that physical death, the sun will explode, and then everything and everything that has been, will die with it in terms of human existence. And I believe that many of the people that make up this generation are struggling with nihilism. Existential nihilism is a philosophy or an anti-philosophy that says life is without intrinsic value, meaning, or purpose. It rejects fundamental aspects of human existence, such as objective truth, knowledge, morality, values, and or meaning. So, Let's be real. If you saw someone on the street and you said, hey, are you a nihilist? They'd probably be like, no, and what is that, right? Um, but if you, if you were to dig into their beliefs and the conclusions of their beliefs, oftentimes you'll find that buried underneath that surface, their beliefs dead end at nihilism, for example, consider these statements, and these are, these are let's, let's say there's a person that they were, um, let's take a secular individual, and they are, they are being sort of, I don't know if attack's the right word, but they're, 
They are, they're asking questions, they're having thoughts, and, and you're going to try to think, like, from a secular perspective, how are you going to withstand these statements? How are you going to respond to them? And so these statements are, everything you do will eventually be forgotten. Beyond meaning that is artificially manufactured, nothing you do ultimately matters. How are you going to respond to this from that perspective? If you do good, whatever that is, right? Do good, from, we're taking this from this perspective. Whatever that is, that good will disappear into nothingness given enough time. This is the statement, you have no intrinsic value. Maybe you have relative value, but you have no intrinsic value. The future is empty darkness. Tohu, bohu, and hoshek. So I want to share with you a story that my wife shared with me. And that was back in 2020. Um, she was dealing with a lot of anxiety and stress. It was kind of a stressful year. Uh, and just with the different stuff happening in the world and then happening in the news. And she was feeling down and struggling with doubts. Is God real? Is this real? How could God let all this chaos and disorder happen? Just struggling with doubts. What if this was all one sick joke? You die and that's it. So she asked God to show her the reality of him. And while she was praying that prayer, she heard him say, who created hope? Why can you have hope? And in that, the reality hit her that the only reason why we can have hope is because of Jesus. Without Jesus, there would be no hope. Hope lives because Jesus lives. Hope lives because Jesus lives. Romans 12, 12, and I think this is on the next slide, maybe, says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Hope brings joy, and we have joy in hope. At the beginning of the sermon, we talked about definitions and, and then concepts related to joy. We're going to talk about a concept with joy, and that is joy's relationship to hope. I believe that this dark nothingness that I described earlier of nihilism cannot withstand the light of hope. Parts of our existence, um, if you think about uh, in the Old Testament, you had the Israelites, they were wandering through the desert. What was behind them was slavery, and they were free. And what was in front of them was the promised land. But what was in the middle was a desert. And I believe that you can compare some aspects of our existence today to that scenario, where slavery is behind us, hope is in front of us, but some aspects of our existence are a desert compared to what is to come. We have, um, in, so for example, the, the Israelites, um, they followed the, the pillar of fire in, in the sky, right? And we follow the spirit within us. And we have hope, and it is not only because of that hope that our joy can run deep, it is only because of that hope that our joy can dive deeper than this barrier of nihilism, for the Christian cannot be a nihilist. Proverbs 10, 28 says, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The hope of the righteous will bring joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Uh, that last statement, you can almost say, like, the hope of the wicked will end in disappointment, or the expectation of the wicked will end in disappointment, but our hope will be realized. 
Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So those, those, those questions, those, those, those kind of almost evil-sounding questions I, 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 or in statements I made earlier from like the nihilist perspective, I want to try to respond to some of those. The statement, everything you do will eventually be forgotten. God sees you, and he knows you, and you can never be forgotten. Everything you do is ultimately meaningless. The Bible says, and the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We have a high calling, and yet the seemingly small things that we do are done as if they are done to Christ. You have no intrinsic value. Well, in response to that, God demonstrated your value and your worth on the cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, carried the cross on his back, beaten and suffering, and in that moment, he had joy. He had joy because he looked forward to you. The future outweighed the present, for the future joy outweighed the present suffering. Hebrews 12, 12 says, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. There's a statement the future is empty darkness. God's spirit is working and hovering over his children, bringing light to darkness. God's spirit has brought light into your darkness, and now you are lamps shining in a dark place. When we think about this whole idea of of worth and value, if we were to try to value ourselves, um, we'd probably do something very comparative. We'd probably say something like, okay, well, let me think about where I am compared to X. Let me consider how much value I bring at this job or in this system or in this structure. Um, and yet, if you zoom out from all of those attempts at... at, at um, at valuing ourselves, if you zoom out far enough, those sort of crumble in time and space. Yet, a price, a value has been placed on us. Not what we place on ourselves, but a price and a value has been placed on us. And it is so much higher than we could value our mortal selves. For it is not us who set this price, but Christ. And he demonstrated this. He demonstrated this in his act on the cross. Like, and that is something I find <laughs> difficult, <clears throat> excuse me, I find that difficult to argue against. Because here's someone who is, who is, who, who represents um, ultimate, ultimate worth. And here, Christ makes an ultimate sacrifice. And he does this for us. He does this for you. And so, as, as, we're, as we're going in life, we're going, to be, we're going to be hit with questions of nihilism. I mean, especially our secular culture, but we as well are going to be hit with questions of nihilism. And 
how dare us answer with anything less than the answer of, of the cross? Because any, any sense of value that we try to put on our, our own selves is, is fragile, right? It's meaningless. And it's especially meaningless compared to what has been done for us and the value that has been placed on ourselves, not by, not by us, right? Next slide. We have a future hope, but not only that, we have the Spirit with us today. We are living and walking in God's creation, and he has called us to cultivate and to restore and to bring his life and his kingdom. If you remember, um, kind of the conversation earlier, many members of this generation are under this weight of nihilism. They don't have good answers to that. Bible says the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Tohu, bohu, and hoshek. And, and the spirit was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light and there was light. And in that, in the spirit hovering over the waters and God proclaiming light, the work of creation was begun. The earth was dark before the Spirit of God spoke life. This generation needs the Spirit of God to hover over their desolate emptiness and bring light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's pretty cool, actually. So, I know this is probably a short sermon, but I have a final thought for you. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Remember, you are a new creation. You restore, you build up, and you walk in the Spirit, illuminating dark places. We have, we have joy, we enjoy, we experience joy from so many wonderful things that, that God has, has given us in his creation. We enjoy God's glory. And yet, in, in the darkness, hope brings joy. Hope enables joy. And that light is a light that not only we possess, but that the world needs. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. So that's all. So we're going to go ahead and pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to be here today. We are, God, we, we, are, we, are, we are humbled by the fact that you have chosen to value us, that you have valued us so high, and that you have given us a future and a hope
that once we were, we were darkness, and God, your light has shined on us, God. I pray that not only would you enable us to fully bask in this light, in this hope, in this joy, God, but that you would enable us to go out and encourage us to go out, and that we would, we would do these things and spread this light to this world that needs it so much, God. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen.